Are you ready to take the lead in the dance of life? Fall in love with who you are right now and find uninhibited joy every day? Then it's time for you to flaunt your smart, sexy, and spiritual self. Join radio host Laura Cheadle and learn how the five steps of flaunt can help you quit seeking approval, proving your worth, and release you from the judgment of others. Express all that you are, discover your naked self-worth, and finally, enjoy the life you've worked so hard to create. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and all month we are going to talk about things that we don't talk about. And you know, we don't talk about a whole host of things, both good and bad. And today we're going to talk about something that I actually don't think is really either good or bad. It's just that there's a whole heck of a lot of taboo and silence and fear around it. Today, we're going to talk about death. And our guest today is Gail Rubin, who is an absolutely incredible woman. If you've not watched her um, uh, TED Talk or read some of her books, I highly recommend it. She helps uh, get end-of-life and funeral planning conversations started, and what I particularly like about her is she's got a real light, humorous touch on a subject that's obviously pretty serious for a lot of people. She's an award-winning speaker, and she uses humor and funny film clips to attract people to topics that many of us would rather avoid <laughs> talking about. You know, the advanced medical directives, estate planning, funeral planning, all of that stuff. She actually pioneered the whole death cafe movement in the United States. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. We're going to talk about that a little bit um, more in the interview today. She hosted her first uh, death cafe west of the Mississippi in Albuquerque, New Mexico in September of 2012. She also um, held the first Before I Die Festival west of the Mississippi, and that was in 2017. And in 2018, her Before I Die New Mexico Festival won the ICCFA's KIPP Award for Best Event. In 2019, she introduced a One Day Before I Die Festivals hosted by funeral homes and cemeteries. And again, we'll, we'll get into some of that because you might be sitting there thinking, I don't know what that is, but don't worry, Gail can tell you. She's the author of three books on end-of-life issues and the creator, oh, you're going to love this, of the newly dead game. She also hosts an award-winning TV DVD series, A Good Goodbye, as well as an internet radio program. So welcome to the show, Gail. We are so happy to have you here. Glad to be with you. Ah, I could be vertical and functional. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> and not only do I love everything that you're doing, but in the middle of this whole COVID-19 thing, I think it is so important that we talk about death because I feel like part of the reason so many people are afraid is because of the whole D word. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, yes, even though we humans do have a 100% mortality rate, less than 30% of adults do any end of life planning. But that's 
what we said, wills or trusts, advanced medical directives, and pre-need funeral planning. So that's going to leave 70% or more of our loved ones scrambling to pull together information under duress of grief and making expensive decisions. And your emotions will cloud your decision-making ability once somebody has died. So I'm all about getting the conversation started before anybody's sick or dying. And this COVID-19 pandemic is bringing mortality to the surface and making us have to talk about it. So thank you for having me on to do so. Oh, you're welcome. Let's kind of start from the beginning here. You are called the Diane of death. Can you explain that moniker a little bit? Yes, yeah, so a doyen is a woman who is considered senior in a group who knows a lot about a particular subject. And uh, so that would be me when it comes to funerals, the parties no one wants to plan. And I was not always the doyen of death. I actually have a background in public relations and event planning. And when I got married for the second time in 2000, we had a very creative Jewish Western wedding and invited everybody to get dressed in Western wear. And we had the reception in a converted horse barn with sawdust on the floor. And everybody had such a good time. I wanted to write a book about creative life cycle events and call it Matchings, Hatchings, and Dispatchings about weddings and births and deaths. And I got to write a monthly feature in our local newspaper by that name. And it was the stories about death and funerals that got the most reader response. So I figured, you know, there's already plenty about creative wedding planning. We didn't need another book about that. But there, at the time, and this was more than 10 years ago, there wasn't much about creative funeral planning. So I focused on funerals and a good goodbye funeral planning for those who don't plan to die was my first book. <laughs> and that changed the course of my career. And um, I became certified in thanatology, which is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. And we get the term thanatology from the Greek demigod Thanatos, whose twin brother is hypnos, which is sleep. So sleep and a good death are very closely related. Oh, I love that. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. 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 And and uh, and then I've also um, became a certified funeral celebrant, somebody who can make a memorial service that's all about the person who died, whether they were religious or not, and um, bringing a lot of creativity to bear that can be very healing for the the loved ones who are left to mourn that person. And uh, and I've done. Uh, a lot of speeches, and like you said, I do use funny film clips to help really teach while you're um, you're entertaining, but you're educating at the same time. Right, right. Okay, so I liked how you tied this into celebrations and creativity, because when people are pregnant, there's the gender reveal party, there's the, you know, the birth party, the showers, all of the planning around that. Same thing with weddings. Um, there's even divorce parties. But the idea of celebrating death, even though throughout history, I think people have celebrated death, that's not something that we tend to do in this Western culture. Why do you think that is? It's interesting. If you had asked this two months ago, a lot of people would be saying, oh, we don't want to, I don't want to be a burden. Or they didn't want to spend the money. 
But now we're in a position where funerals are restricted in most places to 10 people at the most. And if one is a, a celebrant and one is a funeral director, that's only eight family members that can be there in person. So people, uh, funeral homes and individuals are, are getting creative using our technology to be able to help people be there virtually for a memorial service, but suddenly it, it comes into great re relief that celebrating people's lives is incredibly important. When we have been putting off this idea of having a celebration of someone's life, and people then realize, oh my God, you know, we're going to spend at least $10,000 on a party, um, as well as the disposition of the body and maybe a placement in the cemetery, maybe not. So between the expense involved and people just not realizing the importance of the end of life cycle event, just like a wedding is a life cycle event and a birth is a life cycle event, funerals are a major life cycle event that indicate you as an individual who loves somebody or a pet, not, not just people. Yes. Um, that a ritual and a recognition that there is this significant change in your life is going on is very important. And when in the past two months, we've been told you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Suddenly people are mourning the loss of ritual mourning. So that's incredibly challenging in this, in our current times that we're facing the realization that we need to mourn at the same time we're being told that we can't do the usual rituals. And we need yes. our people around us to help support us when we go through these life changes. Yeah, that's an interesting idea because for a long time, it's like we kind of pushed away the idea that, oh, we don't have to talk about that. We don't have to plan it. And now that we can't have it, we go, oh, that is important. It's, that's a very interesting twist on that, isn't it? And um, it's, it's also important that people have advanced medical directives in place. And this whole pandemic has prompted more people to realize the importance of having your wishes in terms of medical treatment, especially if you're close to end of life medical treatment, do you want to be kept alive on a ventilator? If so, for how long? Oh. And, you know, if the person is demented, has dementia, um, is that fair to keep that person alive? They're very difficult questions. They are. Uh, <laughs> One, uh, one radio interviewer said, so are you pro-death? Opposed to pro-life? It's like, well, death is going to happen whether I'm pro or anti-death. You know? Exactly. I mean, that's the I'm thing. pro a good death. Yes. And that's the thing. And that's, you know, with the whole, um, 
euthanasia for pets and or humans, it gets people triggered because death is a scary thing. And while I understand that it's a scary thing because we can't experience it and then go back and tell people about it, it is something that's natural. It is something that happens. If you were born, you will die. You know, like you said, we have 100% mortality rate. Um, I find it interesting because I think a good death is probably different for a lot of people. And I'm just curious your take on a good death and what are some of the things that you have seen around a good death? Obviously, mourning, celebrating that whole ball of what is the mourning, what is the celebrating, who is for left behind, who is for you. What do you think constitutes a really good death? Because I know you've obviously worked with many people through this process and are there common denominators across the board? Well, every death is different. Um, and every situation is different. I mean, I think most people would think a good death is somebody who's very advanced in age and dies in their sleep, you know, definitely (laughs) the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep as Kenny Rogers saying, but mm, most of us, aren't going to get that kind of death. There are, you know, people who die in car accidents. It's fast. It may be relatively painless. There is the opportunity that that young person could have signed up to be an organ donor and as a result saved many lives in the process through their death. So would that be a good death? Possibly. My father-in-law, who was like, one of the movers behind my book, A Good Goodbye, um, he had three open heart surgeries in his lifetime. And at the and I actually pre-planned for him at the age of 79 when I was researching the book. And that's when I realized, oh my God, there's all this information we need that we didn't have when we went to the funeral home to do the pre-planning for my father-in-law, Norm. And over dinner one night with Norm and Myra, my father and mother-in-law, he says, oh, sure, I'll get you my social security number and the family history and my veterans papers and, and, and I'm going to write my own obituary. And I'm thinking, oh, this is good. He's, he's into this. And then I look over at my mother-in-law and Myra is looking down at the roast beef and the mashed potatoes. She doesn't want to think about this. She doesn't want to talk about it. No, Norm will live forever. Well, this, we got past that. We, we got his arrangements on file. And then three years later, at the age of 82, walking through a doorway, he fell and broke his hip. Oh, as often happens with elderly people, this was the beginning of a seven-week downhill slide. And on his third ER admission with trouble breathing, the folks at the hospital said, we can't fix this. He's inhaling everything he eats or drinks. And um, so we, they said, we can admit him on palliative care and let nature take its course. Well, Norm had advanced medical directives, good, and which is great. However, something to think about here, it named his wife as his main decision maker. And she had a vested interest in keeping him alive and she wanted him to come home. Well, 
So she, she wouldn't make the decision. She turned it to her son, my husband, whose wife is the doyen of death. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, my repellative care is a really good thing because it provides a team approach. They'll, they'll keep treating him in the hopes that he may recover, but it's not curative. It's, it's palliative to yes. help him feel better. And so my brother-in-law flew in from out of town, and this is something to be aware of, that out-of-town relatives will probably say, fix him or fix her. Yes. And, um, but fortunately, we had, as another part of Norm's advanced medical directives, that he did not want heroic measures taken to extend his life. So the palliative care made sense in terms of his wishes that way. So Good. I am so glad we had those written wishes to help guide us in a time of crisis. And we need more people to be doing that. And yes. he lasted in the hospital on that 30-hour admission for a week. Uh, and we had some, was somebody in the family with him the whole time. And when his breathing changed, phone calls are made, people came back to the hospital, and we were all there when he died. And it was a beautiful passing he just sort of like was breathing fast and then exhaled and and he was gone and something very interesting that i think you'll appreciate is my husband and i were the last ones to leave the room and we didn't cover up his face with a sheet but i turned around and looked at him and recognized that was not my father-in-law anymore it was a shell the spirit had left the body. Our breath is our life spirit. And yes. when we exhale that last breath, what this bag of meat and bones that we get carried around in this wonderful world, um, it just is a shell of what makes us who we are. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Same thing, whether it's humans or animals. Uh, first thing I notice is the softening and the release. And Oftentimes, the first thing I think is, I didn't realize how uncomfortable they were. I didn't realize, you know, that stress, wow, they look so comfortable. And then the second, and that's not them. Mm -hmm. So for listeners who are listening to this, and they might be thinking, this is great for old people. <laughs> this is great, but I'm, I'm in my 40s. I'm in my 30s. Uh, you know, my parents, they're only in their 60s. We're, we're all good. Can you give some words of advice to people who are still in that, it's not me, I'm young and strong and healthy mode? Well, I would say that the coronavirus is giving us a, a very rude awakening in terms of it can kill young people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And tomorrow is not promised. You could get hit by a bus. You know, it's, um, and if you have children who are under the age of 18, if you fell off the face of the planet, who is going to take care of your kids? That's why you need a will to name a guardian for your young children. Uh, people would, who are younger say, oh, I have no assets. I don't own a house, you know, and, you know, I can barely make ends meet. Well, if you die without a will, 
the state that you live in has a line of succession for who will get your property. And if you, even if you think you don't have much property, but if you want specific things to go to specific people, you need a will. Yes. And there are people who are couples who live together and have lived together for years. I know a couple exactly like this who have not gotten married and don't have wills. And, you know, just all hell will break loose once somebody dies and they're not in that official partnership called marriage that legally recognizes that your spouse gets your stuff. So if you're not married, it's and, a problem. Yeah. Somebody else is going to get your stuff and it may be somebody you don't particularly want to have your stuff. No. So, so it's important to plan ahead. Absolutely. So is there like a top, because you said you, you went to the funeral um, home to plan the funeral and you realized you didn't have things. For people listening, what are some of those things that they need to have? Either that they need to give maybe their loved ones or that they should ask their loved ones for? What, what are, what's a list of some of those things? Top five things. Yes. Social security number. You know your own social security number, but do you know your spouses or your siblings or your parents if you would be put into a position to plan for them? Mother's maiden name. Okay, you probably know, again, you know your own, but you know your spouses or... Um, place of birth and date of birth. Those four things are important because they go on a death certificate and you have to have a death certificate to process everything that comes after a death when you're processing an estate. And then the fifth thing I would say is online passwords. In our online life, these day, this day and age, Oh my God, you know, not only social media, your bank accounts, your credit cards, your, um, if, if you read media, your travel accounts, there is so much that requires a username and password. Yes. I, I do a spreadsheet on paper that I update periodically with my usernames and passwords. Um, it's... It's the only way, I mean, there are those online lock boxes that you could use, but you know what? Things get right. hacked. I don't necessarily trust that. So, um, so you want that kind of information. And I do want to make the point that if you go to my website, agoodgoodbye.com, I offer two free planning forms, a 10-page planning form that you can pull together all your information, including like obituary information, yes. uh, people you'd want to have called to let know that you are no longer alive, um, yes. all sorts of things like that. And then from my, my, uh, sec my third book, Kicking the Bucket List, Downsizing and Organizing Things to Do Before You Die, there's a 50-point executor's checklist that people can download for free. And that's got what you need to do to handle somebody's estate um, and shut it down after they're dead. And it's very involved. Yes, it is. And, and I'm just going to throw this in based on my personal experience, because it, again, if it can help some listeners have this conversation with people in their family, in their world, it's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother passed away several years ago. Mm 
She was a self-proclaimed atheist. She was not a church person at all. She was very common sense, matter of fact. So when she passed away, we all kind of had the idea that, oh, we're going to do a very matter of fact celebration of life. When in fact, she really wanted a church service. She wanted traditional hymns. She wanted, and we were like, she does? <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she was very, she was very traditional. She was very old school in that. And, you know, in talking about it and thinking about it, we were able to see, all right, that brought her comfort when her own parents passed. That brought her comfort when her husband passed. Even though she didn't have that belief, it was something that she was looking forward to. So it's important to have those conversations. And she had written out some things shortly before her death. So we knew that. But it's really important to have those kinds of conversations. And do you have any guide for people who, who are listening to the show and they think, okay, I understand. I hear you, Gail. I get this. This is important. But how do I just go to my parents or my siblings and approach this without having them go, what are you talking about? Or we're not going to do that. Or don't be weird. <laughs> well, Given that we have so much death surrounding us now and awareness of it, I think it might not be considered quite so weird to approach your family to talk about this. But I'm a big proponent of leading by example. Make your own plans and say, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. So I went ahead and made my own funeral plans, and this is what they are. And that can help start a conversation about, you know, what would you like done? Or have you made your plans? Um, I, I also uh, highly recommend if people want to have a viewing party of a very funny TV show from 19... 76. So we're getting into the Wayback Machine. The Mary Tyler Moore Show um, was very famous and won an Emmy Award for an episode called Chuckles Bites the Dust. So Mary Tyler Moore worked in the newsroom in a TV station in Minneapolis. And Chuckles was the clown at the TV station who had all these characters. And one day the circus comes to town and Chuckles is chosen to be the, uh, the grand marshal for the parade. And he goes dressed as one of his characters, Peter Peanut. And during the parade, a elephant decides it wants a snack. And oh, that's no. how Chuckles bites the dust. And people in the newsroom keep laughing and cracking jokes about poor Chuckles and how he died. Well, Mary takes this all very seriously. And um, over the course of the, it's, it's a 25 minute show. Um, so there's lots of laughter and discussions of death and funeral planning and memorial services. And at the very end, there's a very famous scene where Mary basically starts laughing uncontrollably at Chuckles' funeral because she's been suppressing the emotions all this time. So funerals and memorial services do serve a very important purpose for our emotional processing. And at the very end, they all go back to Mary's apartment for coffee and, uh, and they talk about what they might want for their own 
uh, send off. Nice. So, so it's a funny show. You'll laugh, you'll learn, and then it opens the door to talking about what you might want for your own arrangements. Oh, good. Thank you for that. I will put that in the show notes as well. And I'm glad that you mentioned the laughter around that. And I like that you use laughter and like, you've got the skull necklace and you've got all of that. (laughs) I want your take on balancing the laughter with the grief because grief is raw and real and horrible. And there are some circumstances where death is so tragic. And, you know, there's times where it's kind of a blessing and when you're, everybody's prepared and when you're relieved. And there's also times where it is horrifically tragic and people don't know how they can go on. And I just would love your take on holding both ends of the spectrum on that and any advice that you can provide for listeners. You can only laugh about death when it seems like a distant possibility. When death is staring you in the face, it's really not appropriate to be funny. Unless the person themselves were, who's dying is cracking jokes. And in that case, that's a good thing. Um, I, I love wearing skulls. And in fact, anything I buy with skulls on it is a business expense. Of course. <laughs> I have five pairs of cowboy boots that have skulls on them. So I, uh, I love to bring my own uh, flair to the conversation, but that's only when people are alive and nobody's sick. Yes. I put the skulls away when somebody has died and um, approach it very, I would say, matter-of-factly and as well as with, with consideration. Um, you need to be able to gauge how people are reacting to the death. So being supportive, asking questions, you know, offering your help, but, you know, just offering, oh, if I can be of any help, let me know, because people who are mourning don't know what they need to know, what they need to know. No, and people don't know what to say. It's people are so awkward around death. And no, you're right. If you're mourning, you don't know what you need. But also if you're trying to support, so many of us end up with a, uh, sending you love. Because it's awkward. Well, um, I did do a blog post, and I should probably send you the link, about how to write a condolence note uh, based on using the journalism five w's who what when where why nice and um so you want to express to the person that you know even if you didn't know the person who died say it was your friend's father um you can say i'm 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 so sorry your dad died um from what i knew of him He had a great sense of humor. Say something, if you do know the person, you know, something positive about them. Right. Um, When, you know, you want to express your condolences as quickly as you hear about the death. So don't don't hold off because you don't know what to say. Because you're going to read this blog post and then you'll know what to say. Perfect. who, what, when, where, uh, why is a great point 
that you can say this person made an impact on me in this way. Or, I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so you want to be able to just as quickly as you hear about a death, you know, even if it's a text or, you know, a message through Facebook or, you know, I'm kind of old school. I like to write things on paper and put a stamp on the envelope and put it in the mail. And very often that physical object that arrives in the mail will mean a lot to the recipient. And so I highly encourage going old, old school in that regard. I like that. Yeah. One of my friends had uh, tragically lost her husband and it was a horrific situation. And she said she was stunned by the people's inability to express mm. appropriately to her. Mm. And it was just, it, it opened my eyes to that awkwardness. Is that something that you address in death cafes? Because I, I'm curious about the death, death cafes. And I know that our listeners are more curious about that too, is, you know, your, your blog post is great, but is this something that people can go to and they can talk about death with others and learn and tell us all about death cafes? Okay. Well, the death cafe movement got started in 2011 in London, in the United Kingdom. A gentleman named John Underwood was inspired by the work of a Swiss sociologist named Bernard Critaz, who was holding these events in cafes in, in France and calling them Café Mortel, which is death cafe. The idea is to get people together and just let the conversation flow. The participants are the ones who lead with whatever they want to talk about. The idea is it's a safe, nurturing place to talk about anything about mortality issues without being worried about um, being sold anything. You're not supposed to lead people toward any kind of purchase or course of action or belief. Uh, all, all statements are to be accepted and discussed, not no putting down of any particular you know, race, gender, religion, right. uh, belief system. So it's a very interesting, usually about a two-hour conversation. Now, in the past, I've been doing these since 2012. When I first um, found out about them, I actually did a, a video conversation with John Underwood in the UK, and he was so excited, the doyen of death wanted to talk about this with him. Yes. And, <laughs> um, and I've been holding them almost monthly ever since. September of 2012. But of course, in the past two months, we've taken them virtual online. And in fact, other Death Cafe hosts have done so as well. By the way, it grew, the movement grew to more than 70 countries have held Death Cafes. And I think uh, we're over 70,000 individual Death Cafe events. They keep track of it at deathcafe.com and if people wanted to find well it's interesting now with the the virtual death cafe so we're doing it on zoom and my first one i had 18 participants and it was a great conversation and people came from 
New York and Arizona and Colorado and, you know, here in New Mexico, not just in Albuquerque, but up the road in Santa Fe. So the geographic restrictions fall away when we're doing this online. But basically, it, it, it's an opportunity for people to raise whatever issues they want to talk about. And uh, if people ask me for information, I will provide what I know. Right. Uh, but the idea behind a death cafe is not to be an information providing event. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Not like if this is all about green death and nothing else, or this no, is all right. about Christian burial or nothing else. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to go back in for the second half of the show. According to Harvard's Health and Happiness Study, the number one way to find happiness is to feel good. And Laura's 90-day Fit to Flop program is all about feeling good every day. If you're sick and tired of the unhealthy, unrealistic, and unattainable goals that the diet and fitness industry shoves at us all, then Fit to Flaunt is the program for you. Based on your goals, your body, your lifestyle, and most importantly, how you feel, Fit to Flaunt will change the way you think about health, happiness, and most importantly, yourself. For more information, go to www.lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com because the program starts soon <laughs> and fills up fast. All right, we are back talking about death. <laughs> death. I know, death in the middle of the coronavirus. Um, when we left off, we were talking about death cafes. Now, I also know that you do several other death death events. Tell us a little bit more about some of those death events and why, why we might want to go to a death event and what we'll get out of it. Well, I noticed early on that there was something that also came out of the United Kingdom called um, Before I Die Festivals. And this is an opportunity for a multi-day event to have different events like movies and art shows and uh, death cafes and behind the scenes tours at funeral homes and cemeteries and the office of the medical investigator. And I was like, I want to do that. So uh, in 2017, I had my first event just in Albuquerque and we called it the um, Before I Die Albuquerque Festival. But then of course we had to expand it in the next year or after that. So it became the uh, Before I Die New Mexico Festival. And there are different ways to approach it. Mine was to approach funeral homes, cemeteries, estate planning attorneys, people involved with end of life to be sponsors of the event. And we bring people to the funeral home, to the cemetery, take them behind the scenes. And people are fascinated about what goes on behind the scenes. They, they have questions. They don't want to be sold, but they're right. open to learning about what they need to know before they go. So it's my approach to provide the opportunities for people to make these connections and go behind the scenes and learn these things. And I love that. And it sounds kind of fun for you. And that goes right into the five steps of FLAUNT, which is kind of what I want to walk you through next. The, and the FLAUNT is an acronym. The F is for find your fetish. The L is for laugh out loud. We've talked about that a little bit. AU is accept unconditionally. 
N is navigate the negative and T is trust in your truth. So through this whole conversation that we've had today, this seems, I hate to say, this seems fun for you. Death is your fetish. Yay. <laughs> but it, it does seem like it is more than a calling for you. It's, so I was just hoping you could kind of let us know how this, how it feels to be you, how it feels to move into this and to provide this information. And, and what about it? really lights you up this is this is very funny i i i truly believe i was born to do this that i have found my calling in life when i was in college i majored in television and film and we had a film production class where the assignment was for everybody to make a three-minute black and white eight millimeter I'm dating myself here, (laughs) (laughs) with uh, a handful of specific shots. And everybody's movie had to be called The Bubblegum Film. And at the time, I was in a medieval recreation group in college. And for some reason, it came to mind, let's do a satire of the opening of Ingmar Bergman's classic film, The Seventh Seal, which features... A medieval knight wakes up at a beach at dawn and death has come for him and he challenges death to a game of chess. And if the knight keeps winning, he gets to live. So I did a satire of that with Bob, who was my boyfriend at the time and future (laughs) ex-husband playing death. And Eric, who was the knight, um, was the best man at our wedding. And when the knight challenges death to a game of chess, he um, death says, oh, I never learned. So thinking quickly, the knight pulls out a piece of bazooka bubblegum and says, do you like bubblegum? Well, death loves bubblegum. So they agreed to abide by the fortunes and the wrappers. Oh. In the end, death gets his man. He, Last shot is Death putting his arm around the knight's shoulder and walking down the beach, and Death starts skipping. Now, I look back at this. This is 30 years ago. No, 40 years ago. Holy cow. (laughs) Um, And I realize, oh, my God, I am doing what I am meant to do, which was make fun of Death using yes. movies and yes. films. So so that really lights me up that I'm that I'm I've always liked films and I have this huge collection of movies on DVDs now that I actually put together in talks that I use to illustrate and humans are designed to remember movies. Yes. You will remember a scene from a movie much longer than you'll remember anything a speaker tells you. So I use those scenes to help drive home points about pre-need planning. And, um, and I feel very good about that. People are like, thank you for doing what you do. So uh, I'm definitely a pioneer in, in many regards. Uh, One of my fellow uh, certified thanatologists that I ran into at a funeral convention said, you're the Joan Jett of death education. I I like that. Don't you on that? (laughs) Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, it does make me happy to um, 
to do this. And my husband and I like to say, death lives at our house. Yeah. That's funny. That is so funny. And that's right into that next step, that laugh out loud. Laughter is incredibly important and you use it a lot. But do you ever just reach your death saturation or have a personal death experience, you know, with somebody you know and love and you just can't find that laughter anymore and you know you're supposed to, but you just can't get there? Do do you ever have that? And if so, what do you do to get yourself back in your center? Hasn't happened yet. Good. Um, yeah. But, you know, both of my parents are still alive. And um, the last person, my, my mother's twin brother died uh, a year or so ago. So we all went to, um, the, to Florida for that funeral. And I actually conducted that as a celebrant. Good. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he was, he was a character who had alienated a lot of people. So I had to walk a very careful line about honoring him and honoring the hurt that he had inflicted on people. So um, yeah. when, when we do that, um, I, I think it's better to honor a person in the best way that you can uh, to help the others who have been hurt. And that's uh, a key part of being a celebrant is being able to find a way to help people understand what might have been at work that we don't see on the surface. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did want to give you three things that do make me laugh out loud. Oh, good, good, good. I love Stephen Colbert, his <sighs> TV show. Yes. He always makes me laugh. And in fact, I got to go to New York City back in January. And this was one of my bucket list experiences. I wanted to be in the audience and I got to go with a friend of mine. So that was good bucket list experience. Good. Um, my brother, Mitch, shares the funniest things on his Facebook feed. Always makes me laugh. And especially so much material during this uh, yes, there is. at home <laughs> experience. <laughs> And the third is a neighborhood cat named Bennigan, oh. who is the friendliest cat you will ever meet. Anytime I go out the front of my house, he comes running and he's meowing at me and he throws himself at my legs and wants to be petted. And he's like, oh, it's the Bennigan boy. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I yes. love that. And I also appreciate so much that you said as a celebrant, you have to be mindful of who the person was and the hurt that they may have caused. And that's right into that next step, except unconditionally. In our heads, it's so easy to think of death as this beautiful passing where everybody is peaceful and it's wonderful and we miss them and we love them. And quite frankly, there are, there's, families are estranged. You know, people cause problems. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of damage. And that was my question around that, except unconditionally. How, how do you help people or what can you say to people who are facing the death or having conflicted feelings about, I've been estranged from my mom for 20 years and now I find out she's dying. How do I, how do I accept all of this tangled webby stuff and have a graceful ending both for the person who's passing, as well as for the people who were left behind. Forgiveness is a great tool. 
you need to be able to forgive yourself for any shortcomings that you feel might have been at play in the relationship. Forgive the other person, which can be incredibly hard. Uh, I know a person who has a very drama queen personality, and that's that can be very hard to deal with, and they can be very hurtful. And you just need to be able to step back from the emotional drama, and whether you understand it or not, to be able to forgive them, because. The Buddha said that attachments are at the root of all suffering. And one of those attachments is emotional. I mean, our attachment to our stuff and we get clutter around the house and it makes us all crazy and stressful. (laughs) But attachments also to people or to memories that you are hauling around that you feel the need to bring up over and over and over again. It becomes baggage. It's exhausting. And you want to be able to let it go. And forgiveness is the key to detaching. I love that you talked about that and the memories because whether it's dementia or Alzheimer's or, you know, right now we shared this a little bit before the show. My cat has got this horrific cancerous tumor that's literally eating away half of his face. And part of the memory of him as this big, strong, wonderful cat versus the reality of when I look at this poor animal who is dripping blood and can't make himself comfortable and can't roll on his back and can't lay down, it makes it really difficult to hold space for both of those. The young, healthy person versus the person with Alzheimer's, the strong, healthy person versus the frail person, the the person who maybe was your abuser or tormentor, <laughs> you know, and now they're sick. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And forgiveness is huge. It's, it's difficult, but it's huge. It is. And I highly recommend people practice that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And thank you for addressing it for yourself too, because sometimes we think, well, I've forgiven them, but really it's ourselves that we have to forgive our own shortcomings, our own fear, our own, whether abilities or inabilities. And that goes right into the next step of flaunt, which is the N, and that is navigate, navigate the negative. <laughs> Not that I think death is always a negative, but there's a whole heck of a lot of navigation to go around that. And you've talked about having discussions, maybe doing some of these death cafes or these, you know, events where you do get to go behind the scenes, collecting that five lists of things. What else can listeners do today to help navigate both their own death? and also the death of some loved ones around them. This is a very tough time for funeral funeral homes, but I would suggest people start actually visiting funeral homes if they can, if you know social distancing allows, but really start being a informed consumer and start researching your local funeral home costs. What does it cost to get cremated and buried or, you know, have burial plot or a niche? Uh, What does an obituary in the newspaper cost in your area? You would be amazed here in little Albuquerque, New Mexico, the Albuquerque Journal. You could could place just a very small 
obituary and it'll cost $400. Now compare that to the, you know, column inches of, of life story that people are posting. It can cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. Wow. So then you might think, well, if it's so expensive to die, how am I going to afford that? Um, I also got licensed to sell insurance in New Mexico. So if anybody in New Mexico wants to find out about getting a final expense policy for somebody who's older, um, that would provide a pot of money in an affordable way that people can, you know, at least know, okay, there's $10,000 in this insurance policy that will cover final expenses. Uh, or if you're younger and you don't have life insurance, uh, that, that would be a good thing to check into so that when you die, you know, there's a pot of money to take care of the family, the family finances as well as uh, final expenses. That's so good to know because our conversation, we've addressed some of the emotional things and death is very emotional, <laughs> grieving, loss, attachment, forgiveness, all of this stuff comes up. But on that practical side, you're right. It costs money to die. It, it does. And, um, <laughs> Even people are like, oh, just cremate me and, you know, throw me out in the mountains somewhere. That costs money, you know, going to wherever it's going to take place. It's, it's interesting. I had a uh, boyfriend who I moved to New Mexico with, and it didn't work out with that boyfriend. And he wound up moving to Texas. But and he, he married a lovely lady um, probably oh God, six, seven years ago. Uh, well, he died last year of uh, liver failure, just like out of the blue. I mean, he was in his late 60s, but okay. still. When, when you're right, that's not. He's like kind of young. No, that's, you shouldn't be, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but he was cremated, and um, I told, his, his widow told me he wanted his ashes scattered in New Mexico on Sandia Mountain, which is right next to Albuquerque. And I said, yes, of course, I'll do it, of course. But in fact, there's a uh, cemetery here in town that started something called Scatter Day, where having cremated remains around your house is incomplete because they mean something to you. But if you die and somebody inherits these ashes, they, they don't know what to do with them. No. So, so Scattering or, or final placement is very important to, to put those remains to rest. So I took advantage of uh, Sunset Memorial Park's Scatter Day and uh, put most of Pete's ashes in a, a um, ossuary, which is an underground container where multiple people's ashes are put. But it's a final resting place. And I actually sprung for a, a nice nameplate to go on the inside of this. It's in a kiva, which is sort of a round building that's very New Mexican. But I'm still scattering part of his ashes up on the mountain when the weather is nice, right. which it is now. So, um, but again, all of that does cost money and you need to uh, be able to figure out how to afford it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the last T in flaunt is about trusting in your truth. And I was just wondering if you could share with our listeners what 
is your truth? What is Gail's truth? What do you know above all else? Things will get better. <laughs> Things look kind of dark right now for a lot of people and just our entire world. But when I look at how the air has gotten cleaner and the water's gotten clearer just by all of us going into our homes for two months and not venturing out much, uh, I, I am convinced that even though things look dark at times, things will always get better. And that's, you know, in our individual lifetimes as well. I mean, we are going to experience loss. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's okay to mourn, and it's okay to let go of the pain associated with it as time goes by. You don't have to hold on to the pain. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That is so true, because we are alive, and we need to keep moving on. So where can listeners get a hold of you, learn more, buy copies of your books, download all of your stuff? Well, my website is a goodgoodbye.com. And uh, yes, you can contact me through the website there. Uh, I'd also encourage people to please sign up for my YouTube channel. Um, I have just look for G-A-I-L-R-U-B-I-N on YouTube and subscribe to my channel. I've started doing a series of what I call the Coronavirus Cinema Collection, where I'm recommending movies, since we have to stay home so much, uh, that can, again, entertain while educating about funerals and end-of-life issues. I love that. Yeah. I look forward to that because, you know, you're right. It's, it's, it's presenting itself all around us. Even if we don't know somebody right now, we're seeing death. And I would love to learn more because even though sometimes I'll think, oh, well, I've been through it before. Wow. There's always something new to learn. And I'm sure I've made many missteps. And although I've got some ideas up here for myself, I don't have anything in writing. And as a former attorney, I should. I do, I do. I have my will. I've got a trust, but I don't have <laughs> all of my plans. So Gail, thank you for coming on the show today, for talking about things that we don't talk about and for sharing your sparkle <laughs> around a very, I know, a very heavy topic. Thank you. Have an amazing week. Listeners, reach out. Gail Rubin, a good goodbye. Have an amazing week. Stay healthy, and as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Overcome the need to please and find the uninhibited joy of being exactly who you are right now. Come find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Find out more and get your free gift at lauracheadle.com. That's L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E.com.